I'm not a serious preacher. I say that every week, but for leading up to what we're doing now, I felt very strongly that we had several weeks uh, to, that we needed to preach on the spirits that we deal with today. I tell you up front, the name of this that we've assigned to, to this series of sermons is, is that Jesus is the answer. I want you to know today that Jesus is the answer. Somebody needs to hear me. Whatever you're going through today, Jesus is the answer. Whatever's gone wrong in your life, Jesus is the answer. He's not an answer, he's the answer. He's the answer to every question. He's the solution to every problem. That's what the church of the Lord Jesus Christ needs to bring back to the forefront is that Jesus is the answer. It doesn't, he doesn't have the answer. Jesus is the answer. He's still the answer. We talked for several weeks about how to deal with a lying spirit. Today we're going to look at a rebellious spirit. I've talked about that we need to reestablish and to understand that all the demons didn't die when the last apostle died. The demons are alive and well. They're not all in Africa. They're not in Southeast Asia. Believe it or not, they're in Southeast Texas. People say, well, Christians don't deal with demons. That's a lie. Christians deal with demon spirits every day. Everybody gets hung up on possession. Possession is such a small part of what the, of the warfare of, of, that comes from the, from the spiritual realm. We are engaged in a warfare every day of our life. Why else would Paul spend time teaching us that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal? but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Why would he tell us the equipment that we need to, to fight in a spiritual fight if there was no longer a spiritual fight? I told you that the armor of God that we all know about, that, that has a helmet of salvation, a breastplate of righteousness, that has our loins girt about with truth, our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all the shield of faith, and with the sword of the Spirit. I've told you that that armor, that armor is to keep things on the outside from getting to the inside. Everybody's always worried about a possession, things that get on the inside. What about... Things that, that the armor is to pre prevent things from getting on the inside. We talked about that above all, the shield of faith. Why would it be above all? Armor keeps things from getting on the inside. Yes. Hello? Yes. The shield of faith is to block the fiery darts from ever even reaching the armor. It's your first line of defense, the shield of faith. We deal with spirits every day. Oh, I was, I was doing a little praying this last week. When, you, when, you, when you're moving and running to Africa and trying to pastor and trying to get everything done in three weeks, you pray. You pray. When you try to pastor in, in 2022, you pray or you're going to get killed. And I, I, I know in the subjects I, I've told you the last few weeks, when I began to deal with the things of the spiritual realm, when I began to teach the church again that we deal with, with principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this world and spiritual wickedness in high places, that they are alive and well and we are still in the fight, I'm going to tell you that the fight came to me. It opened up everything. But I'm going to tell you he still equipped us to deal with the fight. And I want to, uh, you to understand that there's been so much disinformation or, or more than disinformation in the church world. How about just it doesn't exist anymore? We've just been taught that Christians don't deal with these things. When the Bible makes it clear that we live in a spiritual world and that the, we, we will quote that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. So we know they're not fleshy. But we don't want to acknowledge what the warfare is. It's a demonic warfare. 
It's a spiritual warfare, and it's not a Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's not the only spirit that exists anymore. I, I just want to refresh you on that. A demon, while Christians can't be demon-possessed, we all believe that everybody deals with demons. And let me tell you a little revelation. You like a little revelation? For all, for all the people that, that see, that's a, that's a big thing today. Go beyond the word. Let's have a little revelation. Here, I'll give you a little revelation. For, for the crowd that loves revelation. Here's a little revelation. You ready? A Christian can't be demon-possessed. Look at me. You're going to need, this is a visual. A Christian can't be demon-possessed. But a Christian can. I think, I think everybody missed it except me and Dr. Watts. We got a lot of so-called Christians in this world. And a Christian cannot be demon-possessed. They're, they're demon everything else, I can guarantee you. You're in a fight. A demon can, while, a, while a Christian cannot be demon-possessed, don't look at me again. A Christian can. Let's let that soak in for just a minute. I'll remind you, I've reminded you a little bit. It makes people mad, but it's all right. I'm used to it. Beach Clinton used to say famously, you've heard me say it. He used to get really get people riled up when he would say 85% of the people sitting on the pew in America are lost. Now, I don't think Brother Clinton was right for saying that because I think it's probably 90% plus. Now, we always think of our own little church when we say that. He's not talking about individual church houses. He's talking about the church at large. Been teaching for weeks in Sunday school. Paul warned in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 about, he said, I'm concerned. He said, I've espoused you as a chaste virgin to one husband. He said, and I'm concerned that you are quickly going to be given to another. He said, and it's going to come against your mind that you're going to believe a different Jesus that I haven't taught you by another, by another spirit that I have not given you and another gospel that is not a gospel. Then he told the, the Galatian church, he was concerned with the, with the Corinthian church, but he told the Galatian church he said he said I'm I'm bewildered that you have that you have so quickly began to turn away to another gospel which is not a gospel see he was concerned that the Corinthian church might he was befuddled that the Galatian church had he said it's a different Jesus by a different spirit a different gospel which is not another so I'm going to tell you today that we are in a spiritual warfare as Christians, but we have left the fight in many ways because we don't believe Christians are, are, are even engaged in these things anymore, and then we don't even really know what a Christian is anymore. This is all important to what we're talking about this morning because today we're going to talk about that Jesus, listen to me, is the answer for the spirit of rebellion. Jesus is the answer for the spirit of rebellion. Make no mistake about it, rebellion is a spirit. Rebellion is a spirit. It's been, rebellion has been around since the dawn of time, literally. Rebellion has been around since Eve gave audience and Adam gave audience to the serpent. From the moment that they believed what he said against what God had said. What is rebellion? Rebellion in its simplest form is simply leaving the known will of God. See, we have the known will of God today. He's given us, we have a complete canon of scripture that declares that he's given us all things that pertain to life and to godliness. Somebody say all things. He's given us all things. We have all things that pertain to life and to godliness. He's given us all we need to live this life and to live for God. But when you leave the known, see, now we have the canon of Scripture. When you leave the known will of God, you're in rebellion. Oh. Somebody said, I don't have a rebellious bone in my body, huh? Hmm. When I asked in Sunday school, what is rebellion? The first thing I heard this morning was teenager. 
Well, I guess that could be the personification of rebellion. But rebellion is just when you leave what God has said and to do your own thing. Happened pretty quickly. In the garden, it happened like this. God said, Adam, everything you see is yours. You've been given dominion over everything. Name the animals, it's all yours. He said, you know, before the fall, there was no, there was no death, no shedding of blood, so the men didn't eat animals. He said, so, but everything in the garden is yours to eat. You can eat of every fruit, of every tree in the garden except one. Of the tree in the midst of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. And the day that you eat of that tree, what? You shall surely die. What is that? That is the known word and will of God. Adam and Eve didn't have Genesis to Revelation. They didn't have the 66 or the canon. They had one thing. They didn't have it on paper. They had it face to face. because It says at that time that God walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. Their communion was personal and perfect. It's all yours. Everything. You just can't eat of the one tree. That's the word, church, that's the word of God. We know that God said in the day that you eat it, you shall surely die. He was talking about a spiritual separation, an eternal death, a, a spiritual death. And, and, but when, when the serpent came to Eve, he was, the Bible says he was more cunning than all the creatures of the field. And he came and began to talk, began to have a conversation. That was a problem, by the way. I, I see that as the first problem. I see the first problem is having a conversation. It matters who you talk to. This isn't in, this isn't in my notes. It isn't in my notes, but since it's not in my notes, I can just say it. If it was in my notes, I'd just say it. If it wasn't in my notes, I'd just say it. I'm going to say it because I want to say it. Some of you need to learn about who you're talking to. I'm a Christian. I'm just friendly to everybody. I can be friendly without being friends. I can, let me say that a different way. I can be cordial without being friends. And I'm going to tell you, who you entertain and who you talk with matters. Who you listen to matters. Hear me, young person. Who you're hanging out with matters. Mom and dad, who they're hanging out with matters. Paul wrote to the, to the Corinthian church, and then people to see, I don't, people don't like to hear you say it today. They think you can just do whatever you want to. By the way, that is the very nature of a rebellious spirit. I'll do what I want to. Right? I do what I want to. And nobody tell me what to do, shoot. It don't matter who I hang out with, Mom. That's the very nature. Paul says, do not be deceived. Make no mistake about it. The bad company corrupts good behavior. Brother Johnson used to say back home, back when Van Buren ran 1,200, 1,300 people, back when that was a big church. Yeah, I remember when that was a big church. He'd say, you come in here, he said, there's no way to know everybody sometimes. He said, but I'm telling you, you got a newcomer come in here if they stay. He said, I don't have to, I don't have to know you. I don't have to go to dinner with you. I don't, have to, I don't have to do anything with you other than observe you for six months in this church. He said, if I observe, if you give me the chance to observe you for six months in this church, I'll tell you who you are by who you pair up with. It's true. That's why they come up with old, old sayings, old wives' tales. That they, it's, they, they, uh, you know that cliche becomes cliche? Do you know how cliche becomes cliche? Cliche becomes cliche because it's true. How many of you ever, ever know that birds of a feather flock together? Yeah. Show me who your company is. I'll show you who you are. You hang out with rebellious people, you'll become rebellious. 
You believe the word of God even a little. That's God said. I got to hurry already. I'm already hurried and it's just, I just got started. Has God said, you know why I'm hurrying? I know what I got to say. <laughs> Has God said, God had said. And what did he say? Well, he said, I can have everything in the garden. I can eat of everything except the tree in the midst of the garden. The day that I eat, I'll surely die. He said, neither eat nor, nor touch it. Now, God didn't say anything about touching it, but uh, that's a little legalism, I think, Eve added. But the point being, he said, said in the day that I do, I'll surely die. Say, what did the, what did the serpent say? You're not going to die. Hmm. You're not going to die. See, we know that God, when he told Adam that the day that you eat, you'll surely die. It meant you're going to be separated in a spiritual death. You're going to die eternally that day. This trick of the enemy, this subtle said, you're not, you're, your heart's not going to quit beating. You're not going to quit breathing. I want, to, I want to tell you front load it today. I want everybody to hear me and understand that the end result of rebellion is always death. The end result of rebellion, unrepented, unchecked, unchanged rebellion is always death. When Korah rose up against the, the leadership of Moses in Numbers, God's, or God's man, Aaron and Moses, God's men were put to lead, to lead in a political way and in a spiritual way. When they were put in charge, Korah rose up that we can do better. And the Bible says that, that the ground opened up and swallowed them whole, their, their houses, their family, all their belongings. I always, when I say that, you've heard me before. See, the, I, I like the modern English version. That's a pretty cool version. But you can't beat the King James when it comes to Korah. When it comes to Korah, it says that the ground clave asunder. That's striking, isn't it? And swallowed up. Guess what? There was a rebellion against God's established authority, and God personally opened up the ground and swallowed them whole. Lock, stock, and barrel. And that taught all of Israel a lesson until the next day. <laughs> the very next day, it says, on the morrow. Aren't we a stiff-necked people? Aren't we? It says, on the morrow, what did they do? They did it again. And guess what God did? He did it again. The result of rebellion is death. You have Absalom that rose up against his father to try to take his kingdom that, he, that could have been his. And he rose up against his father, the authority of the household, the authority of the kingdom. And, and when it all turned, when it's all said and done, Absalom is hanging in the cleft of a tree by his hair and is dead because he rose up in rebellion. The end result of rebellion is death. That's a real, what is rebellion? It is leaving the word of God. How many times have you heard the preacher say that the power of God is what? Thank you. She's married to me. The power of God, church, is in obedience. In 1 Samuel chapter 12, Israel has asked for a king, and here the king stands. He's a handsome man, head and shoulders above the rest, it says. And whenever Samuel goes to anoint Saul as king of Israel, there comes the word of the Lord. In those days, the word of the Lord was not written between leather bindings. It came by the prophet. And the word of the Lord came to Saul, and listen to what he said in 1 Samuel chapter 13. Chapter 12, verse 13. Now, be there, now, therefore, behold the king whom you have chosen and whom I and, and in whom you have desired. And behold, 
the Lord has set a king over you. He's talking to the nation of Israel, yes? The word of the Lord is coming. In verse 14 it says, if you will fear the Lord and serve him. See if the screen says the same thing my Bible does. And obey his voice and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then shall both you and also the king that reigns over you continuing, continuing following the Lord your God. Did you hear what he said? Here's the word of the Lord, look at it again. If you will fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and not rebel against him, against God, then you shall both and also the king that reigns over you continue following the Lord your God. Verse 15 says, but if you will not obey the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then shall you then shall the hand of the Lord be against you as it was your fathers. Oh, there's a lot said in those two verses. But there's some things. Because see, we all know the end of the story with Saul. We kind of pass over Saul, the, 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 the king of the flesh, the, the chosen by the people. But if you read what is said here, God told the people and Saul, if you will obey me, obey my commandments, if you do what I ask you to and don't rebel, then I will be with both you and the king. How long? Forever. Hello? Saul said, okay. The very next chapter. Well, is it? Yeah. Then we see Samuel say, no, I'm going to leave. And when I come back, I'm going to offer a sacrifice. Are you with me? He says, don't do anything and don't go anywhere. Don't worry about the Philistines. Don't worry about, don't worry about your enemies. Don't worry about anything until I come back. This is the prophet speaking. Don't do anything until I come back. I'm going to offer a sacrifice for you in seven days. Seven days. Well, in the meantime, the Philistines rise up. This is the JRV. The Philistines rise up, and they begin to start to make noise and start to rattle and start to threaten and start. That's what the enemy does. He, he roars, he rattles, he makes a lot of noise. Yeah? Scares you to death. They waited one day, two day, three day, four day, all's well, five day, six day. But in the meantime, Saul seeing his people start to get a little nervous. Y'all ain't listening to me because y'all think it's all about the preacher sometimes. Sometimes it's all about the president and the preacher. Oh, now it's getting all personal again. Because I'll remind you that the word of the Lord from the prophet said, if the people and the king. If the people and the king will hear my voice, obey my voice, and not rebel against me. Hello? Talk about a spirit of rebellion. I got to hurry. In the meantime, now the people are starting to gather their stuff. They're going to run to caves and they're beginning to scatter. Why? Because the enemy's making noise. Six days, seven days. Saul's like, I can't wait any longer. He said he'd be here in seven days. And at the end of in seven days has come, Samuel's not there. Paul says, or Saul says, well, I know what he's going to do. I'll just do it myself. I'm going to tell you something. Part of disobedience is doing things on your own that God never asked you to do. That wouldn't your place stay in your lane. That's good preaching. Part of what we get in trouble with, it's not always about what he told us to do that we didn't do. Sometimes it's about what we did that he didn't tell us to do. Somebody hear me. It was rebellion. It wasn't his role. It wasn't his place. He wasn't the priest or the prophet. He was the king. Boy, people, people still today are confused about the role of the president and the role of the preacher. That's free. Didn't cost you nothing. Saul said, we got, you know, I, it was very religious, I'm sure. Hear me. I mean, after all, the enemy's closing in. And after all, the people are starting to scatter. And after all, the people are, are getting restless with their king. After all, uh, I, mean, I, I mean, he's going to make a sacrifice. I know exactly what he's going to do. And Samuel's not here. 
It's day seven. Samuel's not here. Yes? So what did Saul do? He went and got the lamb and slaughtered it himself and offered it himself. You're in the spit zone, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> it's like SeaWorld, you're in the first three rows. About the time that Saul sacrifices a lamb, Samuel shows up. Saul, what have you done? Saul reigned, I think, for some 20 more years, somewhere in that area. But when did he lose his kingdom? Right then. Saul. See, he left the known word of God. He was in rebellion immediately. Oh, no big deal. The lamb had to be sacrificed. I know how to do it. He didn't ask you to. God, in his mercy and his grace, some 14 years later, I believe it was, gave Saul another shot. When the Amalekites were up on him, remember? I think you just turned the page, you'll find it. He said, whenever you go in, he says, kill it all, everything. Kill the men, kill the women, kill the children, kill the livestock, don't keep anything, kill it all. We ain't got time to explain all that, just go with me. That was the word of God. Somebody hear me, that was the word of God. But I'm gonna tell you something, when you're in rebellion already, you can think you're serving God to the, to the nth degree. You can think that you're serving God perfectly whenever you're in full-blown rebellion because you can't hear him anymore. You will begin to think your way is as good as his way. Somebody hear me. When you're in rebellion in the least little bit, it will affect what you hear and what you do. You will think you're in God's will when you're 150 miles from even being in the same neighborhood as God's will. You will begin to rationalize it out because you know, you know, you know how good things can be. You've been here before. You, after all, you've got experience. Am I talking to anybody in the house? I'm talking about the spirit of rebellion. I'm talking about what it does to you. It will cause you to believe you can sleep around with your girlfriend when you're not married and still call yourself a Christian. Oh, somebody passed out right on the floor. It will cause you to believe that you can lead a homosexual lifestyle and make it to heaven because you're in rebellion. It will cause you to believe, oh my goodness, it will cause you to believe that you can be a drunken, reveling partier and still be good with God because you're in rebellion. It will cause you to believe because you go to church, because you pay your tithes, because you show up at Sunday school, because you, because you, uh, you'll begin to say, God, didn't I do this? God, didn't I do that? God, you don't understand what I've done for you like we've done him a favor I'll remind you that he says if you offer your body to be burned I'll remind you that he said many will come to me in that day and say Lord Lord did I prophesy in your name did I do miracles in your name while you're in rebellion you think your way is better than his way you think you're, you think you're doing him a favor because you showed up to church and Samuel comes on the scene and says what have you done again, Saul? He says, what do you mean? I've done everything the Lord commanded me. He's standing here looking at Agag. Agag's the king of the Amalekites. He's sitting here looking him in the face. God has told him, kill them all. I've done everything he asked of me. See, when you're in rebellion, you think you got it. Samuel says, oh yeah? Well, what is that bleeding of the sheep and lowing of the cattle? I hear in my ears. He said, well, we killed everything that was despicable and disgusting and of, no, of low value and no use. He said, but we, you know, I know God, God loves the best. The prosperity preacher would tell you that God loves the best. Uh -huh. right. He would say, you know, it must be God's will for you to keep it all. After all, it's God's will to bless you with riches and goods. 
We just, God, we got rid of everything despicable. We got everything in low grade. We got rid of all the second-rate stuff. We just knew that he would really want the spoils, the good stuff. Mm. Rebellion. Rebellion. It sounds good. But it brings you to a place with God. <laughs> Samuel says. In verse 18 of chapter 15, it says, And the Lord sent you on a journey and, and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and to fight against them until they have been consumed. What was the command to Samuel? Or to Saul, do you remember? To Saul and the people of Israel, if you will obey me and not rebel. Do you remember? And the Lord sent you, and verse 19 says, look, look, why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord, but did fly on the spoil and did evil? It wouldn't just, you know what we say today? Well, I messed up. Nobody's perfect. Are y'all hearing me? I, I messed up, preacher. Nobody's perfect. God, I messed up. Nobody's perfect. Why did you father and did evil? God didn't say, oh, you messed up a little. He didn't say that. It's not what the prophet said. He didn't say, he didn't say well, nobody's perfect. You'll get it right better next time. That's not what he said. What do you call it? When you leave the known will of God. Hear me. Let's put a fine point on it. When you leave the known will of God. The prophet said, if my people and the king will both hear me, obey my voice, and not rebel against me, I will establish you and your kingdom forever. When you leave the known will of God, you're in rebellion. And it's evil. It's not a little mistake. It's not nobody's perfect. It is you have rebelled openly against the word of God. And God calls it evil. Verse 20, he said, and Saul said to Samuel, yes, I have opened. Listen, did I tell you what rebellion will do to your thinking? Are you somebody hearing me in this house? What will rebellion do to your thinking? It'll mess up your mind. See, sin makes you crazy. Oh, y'all didn't like that. Somebody hear me. Sin makes you nuts. Sin's insanity. Sin's crazy. Sin will have you believe in you're obeying when you're, when you're a thousand miles from the will of God. Somebody hear me. And Satan said, I've obeyed the voice of the Lord. I've gone the way which the Lord sent me. I've brought Agag the king of Amalek, and I've utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people, it's always the people. Hey, leader, God didn't call the people to lead. He called you. Somebody's going to watch this later that's a preacher that needs to hear me say, hey, leader, hey, general superintendent, hey, district superintendent, hey, presbyter, hey, other pastor, hey, whoever you are, God didn't call the people. He called you. <laughs> he called you. If people didn't need a leader, God wouldn't have gave them leaders. Y'all ain't listening. Don't you just love when people put on Facebook and they're like, why can't we all just get along? Why can't we be friends? Because we're fallen and sinful and rebellious and evil. That's why. Because we're selfish and we want our own way. We'll kill each other over $10. That's why. Somebody don't like the shift they're stuck on and they'll walk into the break room at Walmart in Virginia and put a bullet in six people because they didn't like the shift they were stuck on. That's why. The same, it said, but the people, it's the people took the spoil, the sheep and the oxen and the chief of things which should have been utterly destroyed to sight. Oh, oh my goodness, of course it's religious. 
Of course it was about church. Of course it was about God. Of course their rebellion, they, Matt, they rebelled in service to God. To sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. And Samuel says, the Lord has great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices. As obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, listen to me, church. You think, oh, I've given, I've given more than my 10%. Straight on across the stage. Shoot. I mean, isn't that what it's all about these days? Isn't it all about the money? Y'all acting all religions and stuff. Isn't it everywhere you go? Isn't it all about the money? That's right. Amen. It's all about the money. Hey, you elect politicians based on what they're going to give you. It's all about the money. We got half the church in America going to a preacher because they promise that if you'll do this, that God's going to give you a million dollars. Amen. That's right. It's all about the money. Doing God a favor, doing all this stuff. That's what Saul is saying. Look at everything I've done for God. Samuel said, God enjoys the sacrifice. It's his delight. He established it. He didn't ask for a sacrifice here. Somebody look at me and hear me. God honors nothing that he didn't ask you for. I got a question, mom and dad. It always helps to bring it home. If you ask that boy to take out the garbage when you're on your way to work and, he, and you get home and the garbage is piled up three foot deeper than it was before you left, and you say, why didn't you take out the garbage, boy? And they say, well, I made my bed. <laughs> Can I ask you a question at 12.01? Can I ask you a question? Do you care that he made his bed? Do you care, Mom? What are you caring about? What are you at? You, you, you're a good person to ask. You got I mean, it's you got your own herd. I suspect order is a Whitney. Whitney helps me. She 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 volunteers. She got her own herd. I suspect order is needed. So I suspect it's real important that they do what they you ask them to do, or they're going to kill you. One of these days, exactly. Do you care that they done the other stuff that they didn't do? Why not? It's not what I ask you to do. The Lord delights in burnt offering and in sacrifice. As obeying the voice of the Lord when I ask for it. Behold, I love that word. Stop and look at me, boys. Behold. To obey is better than sacrifice. You ain't hearing me. I can guarantee you, my kids know when I've asked them to do something growing up and they didn't do it and do something else, they know that obeying was better than sacrifice. Oh, you, 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 you picked up the mail that I asked you to do four weeks ago? Let me tell you something, to obey is better than sacrifice. Don't miss it. I'm talking about rebellion. I'm talking about what it is. I'm talking about the spirit of it. I got to hurry because y'all know I say it every week. Noon means nothing at Mag, but I do need to encourage you a little. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. And to listen. But King James says to hearken. Here, somebody said, just listen to me. To obey is better. I won't have to kill you if you obey me, boy. To listen is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion that's leaving what I've asked you to do 
is better. For rebellion, for, for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Some of you, I've heard some of you say, I'm just stubborn. I'm stubborn, was, am, kind of. Anybody stubborn? Stubbornness! Is a, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because he, he goes back and tells, anybody want to know what rebellion is and why it's the sin of witchcraft? And stubbornness is as idolatry? Because you. He didn't say because the people. Remember Saul said the people. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you. Rebellion will bring rejection every time. I don't care what the conventions told you. I don't care what Springfield's told you. I don't care what, the, what Martin Luther told you. I don't care what who, uh, the Word of God says that because you have rejected me, my word, I have also rejected you. I'm not leaving it here because Jesus is the answer. Amen. Turn the page. We find one more time. You know that y'all know that God gave you another shot. Now you got Saul full of demons, tormenting him day and night. Can't stand himself. The next page you see it says, "Send to Jesse. Send for David, the son of Jesse." And it says that Jesse took a young colt. And he put on it uh, some wine and some bread and a young goat and sent it to Saul. I find it amazing that, because that, we know that David is a type of Christ. How many of you know that David's a type of Christ? Salvation was on the way. I find it amazing that a father that was sending David, that he chose a donkey, a young donkey, the same thing that, 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 that a Savior came through the gates of Jerusalem on to cries of Hosanna. Do you think that's incidental? And on that coat was bread and wine. By the way, this is my body. This is my blood. And on that same donkey was a goat. What was that? That was one more time. It was the blood sacrifice he needed to come back to God. He's, the father, he sent for David, and David's father sent him everything he needed to be reconciled out of his rebellion to come back to God. He did it. And just like the church world today, they didn't want Jesus. They didn't want the blood. They didn't want the bread. They wanted somebody else's worship. Saul could have had his answer. The demons could have fled for good. He could have been reconciled back to God. But just like today, rather than to repent and put their faith in the blood and in the body of Christ, instead it says, play for me, David. I want to hear the latest worship tune. It's in there, right in the Word of God. He didn't want out of his rebellion. He wanted his demons quieted. All over the world and all over America today, rather than taking the once and only sacrifice son of the living God and saying, I need you as my Lord and my Savior. Wash me, cleanse me, reconcile me, bring me back. We come in the door, and if they don't sing the latest Caleb song, we can't even sing. Amen. Amen. Now, if they happen to sing Grandma's song, you're mad. But if they sing just the right song, then you'll throw your hands up in the crowd, and you'll sway with the music. And for just a few minutes, your demons are quiet. But you leave unchanged and go back out into a world that you know the music of the Lord, but you don't know the Lord of the music. Saul was in a bad way. The church is in a bad way. The people are in a bad way. Your kids are in a bad way. Oh, I'm trying to, can I draw it a little different for you just one more time? Because you, 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 you think it's about Saul. And you don't know what a rebellion looks like. 
Rebellion doesn't start when they're teenagers. Matt, we laugh about that, and it's true. Rebellion doesn't start. Rebellion starts whenever you're asking what to do and you're counting. You, ain't, you didn't hear that. That went right past you. Rebellion started when, there, when, you, when you said, bring me that. Don't touch that baby. Don't, no, no, no. Mama said, don't touch it. No, really, don't touch it. One. They're already in rebellion. Two. You're teaching them to stay there. Three. Two and a half. Three, ten, a quarter, three quarter. Y'all think I'm joking. It's cute when they're two. It ain't cute when they're 15. And it started when they was two. You want to tell you when the time to obey God is? It's a better preaching than your amen, but I knew it would be that way. I'll tell you when to obey God. I'm going to tell you when the time to obey God is. Right when he asks. You know why? I'll just tell you something. You know why that we don't count at Mag Christian Academy? Because we expect you to do what you're asked to do when you're asked to do it. I don't have time to beg you to do what I've asked you to do. What's right? Mom and Dad, that should be your standard at your house. You say, you're meddling. I say, no, I'm not. I'm going to tell you, God put a preacher in office, gave me the word of God and gave you the truth. And he put you here to save you a lot of heartache and a lot of time and a lot of, and all the way down the road, you should expect obedience when you ask for it. When you delayed obedience is rebellion. You can amen or owe me, but delayed obedience is rebellion. And rebellion in its infancy is cute. Rebellion in its full term is death. When Korah rebelled, he died. When Absalom rebelled, he died. When Saul rebelled, he died. See, everybody dies. It's not, I'm not talking about the funeral home and the casket here. There's an answer. There's a remedy. There's a fix. There's a cure. Then that fix and that cure was bought and paid for by the precious blood of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. God gave his only begotten son so that you can live, so that I can live, so that we can live eternally. It says that whosoever believes on him should have eternal life. It's whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord that shall be saved. Amen. You can't be a rebel and a child of God at the same time. It's not possible. Somebody hear me. If you've got a rebellious nature, you want to know why they're burning in the streets of America? You want to know why, why, the, why the country's in chaos? It's because the country is in rebellion to, the, to authority. And I've told you a thousand times, if you've got a problem with authority, you've got a problem with God. He is the ultimate authority. I'm not talking, and listen, godly authority is not authoritarian. Woman, If you want to get in good graces with your wife, just look at her and say, woman. And that's what Jason and Kat do. I learned it from them. Woman. Ma'am, if you've got a godly husband, if you got, oh, you got a godly husband, and y'all are at loggerheads all the time. Hey, I'm not talking about that he's living like hell. I'm talking about your, that your husband loves Jesus with all of his heart, doing everything he can to live for him. And y'all are at loggerheads all the time because y'all struggling over control. I can tell you he's wrong. Say, we're going to have a business meeting and vote you out if you say that. I, ain't, I didn't write the book. I'm just reporting it. You're never going to have peace in your household until you bring it into line with the authority of the Word of God. It's never going to happen. Ever. God, and listen to me, I'm going to say it again. Godly authority is never authoritarian. Because I'm going to tell you, sir, since I addressed it, you have the higher obligation. Because the Bible says that you're to love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. 
You better be willing to die for that, for that beautiful lady on your arm. Mom and dad, you should expect your children to respect you, to obey you when you ask. And when they don't, you should consistently correct them. Not when you're mad about it, when you've had enough. I see that happen a lot. When you've had they don't do anything until they've had enough. No, it's not about you, it's about them. I'm building a church and a church family here on the Word of God. It doesn't really make me much difference what you think about it. I need you to understand something. It's not about you. See, I'll correct them when I've had enough and I'm at the end of my rope. No, sir, it's not about you, it's about them. Because if they don't respect you, they're never going to respect their teacher. If they don't respect your teacher, they're never going to respect their boss. If they don't respect their boss, they're never going to get the promotion. If they don't get the promotion, they're never going to get out of your bedroom. Now it's back to you. They're going to be in trouble with the police. They're going to be in trouble. Somebody preach. I wish somebody would have told me. I just did. I just did. I just told you. I did. I just told you. And now I'm going to tell you that we were all born in a situation where we need a Savior, every one of us. There's none righteous. Somebody hear me. There's none righteous. No, not one. The Bible says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. How many is all? I looked up all. In English and Greek and Hebrew, you know what it means? All. All of sin and come short of the glory of God. Every one of us. Every one of us need a Savior. That, you see, we're all rebellion against God because we need a Savior. But He gave us all we needed. Just like Jesse sent the, the donkey with everything Saul needed. Saul rejected it, just wanted to worship. we got a generation that want to worship a God they don't know. And it doesn't work. They want to know that sacrifice. Obedience is better. Obedience is better. Listen, I want to tell you something really interesting. You won't need a miracle sign and a wonder near as often if you'll just walk in obedience with God. Anytime I've ever needed a miracle, it's because I was against the wall. But whenever I walk in obedience with God, I'm not against the wall near as often. And whenever I'm in obedience with God, when I am against the wall, He's more inclined to operate on my behalf. Good preaching. Jesus is the answer. See, the, that, that blood, that goat was the answer for Saul. Today, Jesus is the answer. He will walk into your life. He will walk into your home. He will walk into your children's life. He will right the wrongs. He will set the order straight. He will, he will, he will wipe away the years of guilt and shame. He will, he will take away the, the, the weight of your iniquity and the weight of your pain. He will walk in and he will, and he will make it all right. He'll remove your sin from you as far as the east is from the west. Whenever you get out of rebellion and get into obedience, get in, walk in his word, live in his word. It, it's, Listen, it's all his word. He has established his word. He, is, he said, I will honor my word even above my name. His word, it, he's given us his will and his way. And, he, and, he, and the word was made flesh and offered itself on a, on a cross for you and I. Jesus is still the answer. And he will set it all in order. He will bring it home to your home. He'll change your situation. 